Hey, many of you guys know that we are really involved in Brazil. We are heavily invested in Brazil. Uh, we send lots of money down there. We send missionaries down there. We're actually involved in a partnership with the vineyards down there where we do training with them and, and uh, you know, all kinds of help. We, uh, every year, we send at least one team on a short-term mission trip down to Brazil and just so you know, we're having a Brazil interest meeting in about a month, so stay tuned for that. Um, but one of my favorite things that we do in Brazil, um, for me it's one of the most fun things, is a lot of the churches down there are in the Amazon region. And so they have what we call a river ministry. And so what we basically do is we get on a boat on the Amazon River and just travel from village to village, to community, sharing the gospel, and just loving on these different communities. They're all different kinds, some very primitive, some, some uh, not so primitive, all different kinds of, of villages, and it's really, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, this past trip, we went down and we did a, a river trip, and um, I was talking with the, the captain a lot. And, and one thing about the Amazon that if, if you haven't been there, it's, it's, there's really nothing like it. There are parts of the Amazon when you're, when you're traveling where you feel like you're in the middle of the ocean. Like it is so big. There's parts like, I don't know if you've been to the ocean or Lake Erie, but there's parts where you, you literally can't see the other side. It's that big. And one night, the water, it was one of those places, and the water was just completely still. It was so calm, and which is really odd for a river. And we stopped for the evening, and the, the uh, captain lowered the anchor down. And I, I thought for a minute, I thought, this is odd. Why are we putting the anchor down? The water is completely still. And I, I went and asked him. I said, why are we, you know, I'd understand if there was a, you know, a major current or if there was a storm, but the water is so calm. Why are, we, why are we putting the anchor down? And he said something to me. He said, calm water is deceptive. He said, water in the Amazon is never still. It's always moving. He said, if you don't anchor before you know it, you'll have drifted off downriver. And I thought that was really profound because of this, that the same thing happens in our life. The same thing is, is true in our lives. Like, you know, we can rest assured that we're going to face storms in our life. I mean, many of us are facing major storms right now in our lives, like, the Indians losing the World Series. No, but there are, there are just major storms that we're, we're facing, bigger than the Indians losing the World Series. And in those times, I think we do have an awareness that we need to anchor down. A lot of times it's in the storm that we think we need to, we need to anchor down. We need to figure out what's important in our lives. And that's good to do. That's really important to do in the storms. But the truth is, is it is just as important to be anchored in, in, you know, our everyday life, in the calm waters, in the mundane of life, just the day-to-day, in the still waters, it's just as important to be anchored. Because if we aren't anchored in those times, the truth is, is we will slowly drift away. We'll slowly drift off course. You know, I've shared with, 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 a lot of you guys about how in my early 20s, I walked away from Jesus. But the truth is, is I, I didn't walk away from Jesus. I drifted away from Jesus. 
Like, I never, I never had this moment where I said, all right, Jesus, you're going this way, and I'm going this way. I'm walking this way. No, it was a, it was a slow drift. It was like this process. For me, it was, you know, I was stopped serving in the church initially. I was just getting too busy, and then I stopped going to my small group, and and then, like, I was doing a lot of things on the weekend. I was playing in a band, and so I, I wasn't coming to church every weekend. And then, slowly, I stopped coming to church, like, ever. And I stopped having quiet time with the Lord, stopped really reading my Bible, and started spending more of my time at shows and, and maybe uh, partying a little bit and going to bars. And I realized it was... Uh, you know, just these, these little things. Then all of a sudden, at one point, I realized I was so disconnected from Jesus. I was so far away from Jesus. I remember I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and, you know, pretty much the most important thing in my life was partying, really. And I, I woke up one morning, and I was probably hungover, and I, I woke up, and I remember thinking, how did I get here? And it wasn't like I woke up in some random house. I mean, maybe I did. But it was, it was more of like, how did, I, how, how did my life end up like this? Like, I never set out to, to, to be this far away. How did I end up so far away? And the truth is, I had slowly drift away. It drifted away. It was over the course of years that this happened. And honestly, I see this happen over and over again with people. Just this slow drift away from Jesus. I mean, very, I mean, it happens sometimes, but very rarely do I see someone have a moment where they say, I'm done with you, Jesus. I'm going this way. Most of the time, it's that slow drift. It's making a small decision to say, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to stop doing this. Or maybe I'm going to go over here instead. And then before we know it, like, how did, I, how did I get so far away? You know, I don't go to church anymore. I don't have any, any relationship with Jesus anymore. Or like, I'm having an affair on my wife. How did this happen? Like, no one rarely sets out to have an affair. It just, it's this slow choices slow choices and then all of a sudden you are so far away from where you once were. So today I want to talk about what we are anchoring our lives to. What are we anchoring our lives to? Because whether you realize it or not, we are all anchoring our lives to something. We are all anchoring our lives to something. There's something inside of every human being that, that wants to anchor to something, whether they know it or not. And judging by a lot of our Facebook posts, I think a lot of people are anchored to politics. Like, that's where their hope is. That's where we're going to find, you know, real change and freedom. A lot of us are anchored to our health and fitness. A lot of us are anchored to, to our career, money, success. Some of us are anchored to, our, to family and the secret, the biggest trick is that most of the things that we can anchor to are good things. They're not bad things. They're good things. 
but they're not eternal things. See, that's the, that's the secret. We need to be anchored into something eternal. Like, think about a boat. Like, a boat can't anchor to a piece of driftwood. I mean, you could, but it's not going to do any good. You need to anchor to solid rock or to the, to the, to the solid ground or to a, to a dock or something that's not going to move. And the only thing in this universe that's unchanging is Jesus. And we need to anchor our lives to Jesus. And you could probably have guessed that I would have said that because we're in church. But what do I mean by that? We need to anchor our lives to Jesus. We need to trust him. We need to, you know, give it to the Lord. We say those things, but what does that mean? I want to tease that out a little bit. And as as we tease that out, we're going to continue our series in Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts 27. And the story we're going to be looking at is a story with, with Paul, who's been like the central character of a large portion of Acts, especially the second half. And Paul is going through a literal storm. There's like a literal storm that he's, he's running into, and he's actually dropping literal anchors. But simultaneously in this story, there's a spiritual reality going on where he's communicating what kind of spiritual anchors he's, he's lowering down and what he's, he's anchoring his spiritual life to. So we're going to jump in, but let's just pray real fast and invite the Lord here before we do. Lord, we thank you that you are the eternal God. That you are uh, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Lord, we just, we just say we're in a season in our country where there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. You know, Tuesday, there's some major things happening. And, and we, we, we confess that we might be anxious or fearful but we just say that we trust you. So Lord, we give you this morning, we give you everything, and just say we trust you. Amen. So if you remember in the story of Acts, Paul was an apostle of Jesus, and he was sent to uh, the Gentile world out of Jerusalem. He was sent to the Gentile world to, to spread the good news of the gospel, to, to tell you know, Asia and Africa and Europe about Jesus and the good news of Jesus. And so he had been doing that for a number of years, and then, and then he decided that he was going to go back to Jerusalem. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's promptly arrested um, and put into jail, and he's standing trial. Last week, remember, we talked about him standing trial before all these people, and, you know, kind of instead of uh, stating his case, the biggest thing that he was doing was just sharing the gospel. Remember, Michael talked about him fishing, even when he was standing trial. He was going after these high-ranking officials, trying to win them over to Jesus. But he gets handed over to this, this court, and at the end of the... Um, at the end of the, the case, or whatever you call it, they're kind of just left like, oh, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. So they decide they're going to send Paul all the way back to Rome to stand trial in front of Caesar. So this is becoming a really big deal. Paul is going to stand trial to Caesar. And, and, and he gets handed over to the centurion named Julius. 
And Julius was a really kind man. We're going to see that in the story. But one thing that's, I think, very interesting and important to know is when we looked at this story, like last week, the sermon that Michael gave about this, this court case that happened, um, it feels like it was like maybe over a weekend, but this took, took over two years to happen. This was over two years of Paul's life. Like this didn't just ruin a weekend for him. This was a major event in his life. But he's handed over to Julius, and Julius was really kind to him. And there's actually a story that, that you can read about Julius telling Paul that him and his friends can go visit some of his other friends, and that he trusted Paul to come back, and Paul does come back. Um, and I don't know what that says about Paul. I think I may have made a different choice, um, but I don't know if it means that Paul's you know, a better person than me, or maybe just not as smart, or so, I don't know. But he does come back, and, and uh, you know, uh, they decide they're going to sail from Caesarea, which is just north of Jerusalem, all the way to Rome. And you can put the map up here. They're going to go through the, the Mediterranean Sea and the Adriatic Sea, and you see that red line in the middle of there? Do you guys see that? I don't know if it's that's the, the route that they were taking, and they just made a number of stops, and where we're going to start in the story is that island right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's an island called Crete, and they're, they're, you know, they've been there for a little bit, and they're going to set sail again to go all the way to Rome. And one thing that's important to know um, is this took place around this time of year. This was October or November when they're uh, on, in Crete. One thing that's important to know about the Mediterranean Sea is it's hurricane season around October, November. So it would have been a really bad idea to sail, especially with the, the, you know, the kind of ships that they were using at that point. They didn't have the technology that we have now. In fact, I read somewhere that said if you sailed from September on, it was foolish. But if you sailed any time after October, it was suicidal. But they decided uh, to, to sail from Crete to Rome. But Paul doesn't think it's a good idea because he knows that it's hurricane season. So Paul actually speaks up in Acts 27, verse 10. He says this. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. It's like, don't, let's not do this, guys. Let's wait a little bit. But for a variety of reasons, Julius and, and you know, the captains or whoever to say, we're, no, we're going to go. So they take Paul and 276 people on this ship to sail to Rome, including Luke. Luke's on the ship as well, who is the author of Acts. But let's pick up in verse 13. It says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they, that's when they decided to sail off. And so they weighed anchor, which I think is interesting. They weighed anchor in the gentle wind. I guess that's just what you do. And sailed along the shore of Crete. And before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not heed into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. And as we passed the lee of a small island called Kadah, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard, and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. 
real quick, the reason they did that was because their hope at this point was that they would hopefully shipwreck into an island. The hurricane was so bad, they were like, our only hope at this point is that we run a bo- like, and shipwreck into some island so the ropes would act like, kind of like a bumper. So because they, they passed the ropes, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandboards of Syrtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And with neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So this was a, this was a crazy storm. This was a hurricane. It was just really bad. And so in the middle of this, over, I mean, this has took place over a number of days where this hurricane was happening. Paul has this visitation from an angel in the middle of the night. And then Paul gets up in the morning and he addresses the crew. And listen to what he says. Verse 21. He says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. Thanks a lot, Paul. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And it did. They end up shipwrecking into an island called Malta, we're going to talk about that next week. But no one dies. Every single person on the ship, you know, keeps their life. And they, they end up throwing all their food overboard, everything. But everyone survives. And really, what I want to do today is look at three verses in that story that I believe show us what Paul was anchoring his life to. I think they're really profound verses We're going to look at verses 23 through 25. And the first thing I want to look at is the first anchor, the main anchor that that Paul had in his life is he was anchored in knowing God. He was anchored in knowing God. So what does that mean to be anchored in knowing God? I love at the end of verse 25, it says this. It says, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. The first thing about being anchored in knowing God is we are anchored in trusting God's promises. His promises. Paul was anchored to God by trusting God's promise. What did he say to him? He said, you are going to make it to to, to Rome. You are going to stand trial before Caesar, and no one's going to get hurt. And Paul chose to trust that. And the same thing needs to be true in our lives. We need to trust the promises of God. And the best place that we can find the promises of God is in Scripture. 
There are so many wonderful promises that we can hold on to and that we can anchor our lives to. The Bible promises us wisdom. It's a promise. that He'll give us wisdom. He'll give us provision. He'll, 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 he, he will deliver us. He gives us forgiveness of our sins. That he, we have a promise that he loves us, that he will always love us, that he will never forsake you or abandon you, that he will always be with you. I love the promise that, that Michael talked about last week, that we have a promise of heaven, of eternity. We have a promise that the end of the story, that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and all will be made new, and every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more fear, no more pain, no more disease. We can hold on to that promise. We can anchor to that promise and say, I choose to trust that. And it's important to do that even when situations look grim, when situations look dark. You know, I know when I was a little boy, the Lord spoke to me like a number of times and all throughout my life and told me that I was going to be a pastor over and over again through others and through dreams and all kinds of ways. And, and, you know, I told the story about how in my early 20s it looked grim. Um, but there was a point when I started saying, okay, I'm going to start moving into that. And everything started falling apart. And it started looking like it was going to be impossible for me to be a pastor. I was working at Starbucks and it just, it just looked grim. And I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know if I trust that I'm going to be a pastor. And I felt like the Lord said to me, do you trust my promise I made you. And I had to make a choice. Do I want to trust the promises of the Lord? And I think there are people here today that the Lord has spoken very specific things to you. And you're beginning to doubt it. You're beginning to waver on whether or not you believe that. And the Lord wants you to know you can trust my promises. You can trust my promises. Whether they're ones that have been spoken directly to you or the ones that we read in Scripture, His promises are good. We need to anchor into those promises. And alongside of being anchored in His promises, we need to be anchored in His presence. Paul was anchored to the presence of God. We see it in this story. I like in verse 23. It says, Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. All throughout Acts, all throughout the, the, the letters that Paul wrote, we see this ongoing interaction between him and God. There was always the presence of God. There was always dreams and visions and prayers and, and you know, direct, uh, like, knocking Paul off horses and all kinds of things, sending angels. Paul was in this constant uh, dialogue, this, this relationship with Jesus. But also, 
Paul trusted that even in the times where he, he couldn't hear Jesus, even in the times where he was in jail for two years, and we don't, we don't know what happened every day, he trusted that God was with him always, even when it didn't feel like it. That's one of the promises that we can hold on to, is that Jesus is always with us. Paul has a certainty that in every situation, no matter what's going on, Jesus is there with him. And, and I don't know about you, but I desire to know that more. I know that up here, and I can sit up here and tell you guys that's true, but there are so often situations in my life where I just, I'm like, I don't know where God is. And I begin to doubt that, that he is always with me. But I'm telling you, we can bank on it. He is always with us. He is always with us. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't tell us that he'll keep us away from storms. In fact, he kind of tells us the opposite. He says we're going to go through storms. He doesn't tell us that he's going to calm every storm. He does sometimes. But what he does promise us is that he will be with us in every storm. He will be with us. And we can wonder why. Here's the problem. So many times when we're in the midst of the storms, we get so consumed and focused on the storm that we lose sight of him. And we start thinking, why am I in this storm? Well, how did I get? How did I end up in the storm? Is it because? Is it because of Satan? Is it because of the world? Is it because? Is it because of Jesus? Is he mad at me? Why am I in this storm? We get so focused on the storm. I was reading about this lady named Margaret Feinberg who is in the midst of really crazy storms, and listen to this thing that she said. She said, "Wide awake to the presence of God, I realized I had been so focused." on asking why a good God allowed bad things to happen, that I was missing out on the nearness of God all along. And becoming preoccupied with the why, I was missing the who. I thought that was just so beautiful. God is with us in the storm, and we can know him through the storm. He's with us in the calm. He's with us in the celebrations. He's with us in the mundane. He's with us in the hard times. He's always with us. And I believe, I mean, just as an aside, I believe that sometimes storms can be the grace of God. Sometimes storms in our life can be the grace of God because I know it's in the storm that you, you, you search for that anchor. Right? Sometimes in the mundane, we, we forget that we need an anchor. It's like I know, what was it, last weekend, I was trick-or-treating with Olive, my little, my little girl. And there was a point where we were walking around and there was, you know, some house that had some scary stuff. And she got really scared. And she, 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 she ran to my arms. Because she wanted to, she was afraid. And she wanted to hold on to something secure. Does that make sense? It's sometimes in the storms that we can run to God and say, I need you. 
We need to be anchored in God's presence. God desires so much more than we just know his promises. God desires so much more than for us to just be people who can, you know, know scripture. That stuff is good. That stuff is really important. But he desires more for our lives. It's super important that we know things about, like, let me say it this way. It is super important for me to know things about my wife, Lara. Like, if I forget her birthday, that's bad news. It's really important that I know things about her. But you know what's more important than knowing things about Lara? Knowing Lara. Spending time with her. Like hearing her thoughts. And you, do you know that the God of the Bible isn't some distant God just watching how this all plays out, but he is a God who is near and can be known. And let me just say this. Before we move on, if you're, if you're here today, and you may call yourself a Christian, you may not call yourself a Christian, but I just want to tell you that God wants to know you. He wants to know things about you, and he wants you to know him. And you can. You can enter into like a real relationship with him. We can be engaged in his presence. He wants to be a God that's known. So we need to be anchored into God, both his promises and his presence. And and the next thing that we need to be anchored in that comes after that, that's primary. Being anchored in God is primary. But out of that, we can be anchored in knowing ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. I think Paul understood who he was. Paul understood who he was. And, and we live in a culture where we are obsessed with knowing ourselves, aren't we? We just, we want to, like, I'm not talking about taking a Facebook quiz of knowing what kind of Star Wars character you are <laughs> or, you know, what kind of flower you would be. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not even talking about, like, real introspection where you find out you know, what kind of personality, if you're an introvert, an extrovert, I'm not even talking about that kind of stuff. That stuff can be really helpful and good, and I recommend doing those things, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, I'm talking about knowing who you are in relation to who he is. Like, deep down, and not just up here, but in here, knowing who you are. And let me just tell you a second who you are. You are a child of the king. You are a child of the king. You are a son of the king whom he loves. You are a daughter of the king who he just, he delights in you. That's who you are. Paul understood that you belong to him. Listen to what Paul says in verse 23. He says, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong. Paul understood that he belonged to Jesus. And I think that helped him stay grounded in this storm, helped him stay grounded in the two years in prison, helped him stay grounded when he was being stoned, all those things. Because he knew who he belonged to. 
He belonged to the Lord. And when, when, when you understand this idea of being belonging to the Lord, it's not oppressive. It's not like an oppressive type of belonging. It's like going back to my daughter during trick-or-treating. When, when, when she saw the scary thing, she wanted to know that she belonged to me. And she wanted me to hold her and say, everything's going to be okay. I got you. I got you. You're my girl. That's what I'm talking about. Knowing that. And there's, it's not oppressive. It brings life. There's freedom in it. Because we know that we belong to the most loving, most generous, most life-giving Father in the world. And the more you just get to know that that's who you are, the more you just know that about yourself. And it becomes more and more true for us. Because the, the reality is, even, even secular psychology says that we are trying to find identity in everything. We, we, we are looking for identity in this world. That's one of our core longings. That's what secular uh, psychology says, is one of our core longings is identity. And we will look to anything to give us identity. I, will, I am like a leech for identity. I look to my wife, tell me that I'm a good husband. I look to my daughter to be like, I'm a good father. And like, I'm a good pastor. I will look to all of you guys to give me identity. Unless... I go to him for it and say, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? That's my morning prayer. That's like one of the first things I say in the morning is, Lord, you tell me who I am so I don't go trying to suck it out of everybody else. Our identity comes from him. And if we are good on that, once we understand who we are, the next thing happens. If, if you understand who you are, the next thing you understand is what you do. And we can be an anchored in that. And, and I want to clarify this too because this can be confusing. What we do has to come out of who we are, not the other way around. It has to come the other, the, that who we are dictates what we do, not what we do dictates who we are. Like, you don't do enough stuff so you can be a child of God, so he loves you. No. You are loved. You are a child of the king, so, so go out and do. That's, that's what I mean. And when I say what we do, I don't even mean like, you know, are you a doctor? Are you a teacher? I, I don't even mean that. Because Paul understood who he was, but he, he also understood the function of his life. We see this in, in, in verse 23. He understood his calling. He said, last night, an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve. That's what he did. He was a servant. And that's who you are. Paul understood his fundamental calling before being apostle, before being you know, a tent maker, before anything else, is he was a servant of God. And we are called to be servants of God. And the problem is, is a lot of us have really uh, horrible views of our, of our calling. We have unhealthy views of our calling. Some people have what I call a deflated view of of their calling. 
where they think, I'm just too broken, I'm too messed up, I don't think he wants to use me, I don't think I have a purpose, I don't think, I I think I'm insignificant, I've blown it too big, I, I am not able to be used. And that's not true. That's a, that's a deflated view of, your, of what you do, of your calling in life. But the, the, on the flip side, some of us have an inflated view of our calling, where it's like, Lord, what amazing thing am I going to do today? Like, I'm too important for those things. I, I'm not, I don't need to, you know, do this, like, simple thing. I need to do the big things and the great things. I'm not made to just serve down here. I I need to be great. Paul understood that he was a servant, and a servant's job is not to decide whether they are going to do great things or small things. Their job is to serve and to be obedient whether or not they're doing something big or small. It's important for us to know that in our lives, that God is calling us to obedience, to saying yes to him, no matter what he's asking us to do. And I I mean, I was talking to Michael this week, and he actually has these things tattooed on his wrist. On one wrist it says son, and on one wrist it says servant, who I am and what I do. We were talking about this, and and I was just saying, like, I so desire to just be good with being a servant. But I'm constantly wanting glory. I'm constantly wanting to have like a legacy. And I'm constantly wanting to be great. And I just, I want to be okay with just being a servant, whatever that looks like. And I imagine a lot of us struggle with that. A lot of us struggle with that idea of wanting to be great. And the Bible actually tells us how we can be great. In, in Matthew 23, one of the most convicting and, I think, profound verses in all of Scripture, it tells you how you can be great. It says, if you want to be great, you must be a servant. That, I mean, it's super convicting to me, at least. I know my brother, he's a missionary down in Brazil, and that, like, it's crazy just to leave your family, to leave your friends and go to another country uh, and just trust that the Lord is going to provide and take care of you. And that's just a big deal. And I was talking to Christopher, my brother, and he was saying that he regularly has people say to him, like, that must have been so hard. And he'll say, yeah, it was hard. But you know what's harder? Serving my wife. You know what's harder? Being kind to my neighbor when he cuts me off. You know what's harder is being obedient on the daily, you know, daily things. That's what's really hard. Like sometimes in our lives, doing like the big things that God has called us to do can be easier than just being obedient in the simple things. God is calling you to be obedient no matter what it is. Do you know what it's called when God is calling you to do something, when he's asking you to do something and you don't do it? Sin. That's like the the definition of sin. And I think we have like an inaccurate uh, definition of sin most of the time. Most of the time, what we think of as sin is breaking certain rules. It can be. 
But really, a better definition of sin is just not being obedient to what the Lord is asking us to do. Whether it's not to do something or to do something. When God asks us to do something, we need to say yes, whether it's big or small. And if we, if we don't, then that's sin. So let me ask you, is God calling you to get involved in a small group? Is God asking you to spend more time with your kids? Is God, you know, nudging you to get into marriage counseling? Is God calling you to, to get involved in the Beyond the Building campaign, both, both with your time and your finances, whatever it is? Is God calling you to eat more healthy? Is God calling you to serve in an area of the church? Is God calling you to be intentional with your friends and neighbors about, you know, telling them about you, whatever it is? If God is calling you to do something, if God is nudging you to do something and we don't do it, that's sin. And I'm not saying that so we can all be bummed out and become super legalistic. Because, I mean, listen, our identity, who we are, is sealed. We are sons and daughters of the king. That legalism would say, if you don't do these things, that's in danger. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I need to hear regularly in my life, hey man, God's calling you to do something and you should do it. Or God's saying that that's not cool, you probably shouldn't do that. And we will be obedient to it. And the truth is, I would say this is probably the biggest reason I see people drift away from the Lord. This is probably the biggest reason I see people drift is because they're not okay with being a servant. They just have regularly said no in their life. And they've gotten used to it. Like, no, I, I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to get more involved in church. Or no, I, I'm tired. I don't want to go and help my neighbor, you know, shovel their driveway. Or I'd, I'd rather be doing this, Lord. And then before they know it, they've just said no so many times that what Jesus wants for them is over there and they're somehow over here. But God is calling us to anchor our lives to him. So we need to anchor into his promises saying, yeah, you are a good God who forgives us, who loves us. You, we need to anchor into his presence saying, you are with me and I can know you. We need to anchor into knowing that we are his son, we are his daughter. And we need to anchor in saying, I am obedient to you. I will say yes to you. So why don't we stand? I think there are three groups of people that the Lord wants to minister to this morning. And the first group is people who just want to say yes to Jesus and say, I want to anchor into you. And you may have already, I mean, you may be currently anchored in, but you want to go this morning and say, I'm anchored into you today. And the Lord is saying, maybe you've drifted a little bit. Maybe you have realized that in the past, you know, whatever, few weeks, you haven't been super anchored. And the Lord wants to just say, it's not too late. You can anchor him to me today. And the second group is for the people who, when I was talking about being able to know God, 
you've realized that your relationship with him is more about knowing about him and less about knowing him. Or maybe you have never had a relationship with God and God wants to invite you today to be into a relationship with him. And third, I feel like the Lord wants to pour out physical healing. He wants to heal people physically. So if you're sick, if you um, have any pain in your body, I feel like God wants to heal people this morning. So what, we're going to worship a little bit, but if any of those three things, you want to be anchored to him, you want to know him, or you want physical healing, why don't you come forward and we're, we're going to just pray for you. So just start making your way to the front. on this side. stand before you, eternal God. Say that you are the rock. And you are, you are the place that we can anchor to. Lord, 
where we just confess that we've, we've anchored to so many things and even probably <laughs> over the past hour we've probably anchored to other things, Lord. But today, this moment, we, we stand before you and say we are anchored to you. We trust you. Lord, we say we believe. Help us with our unbelief. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that you are a God who is with us, who can be known. Lord, we just ask that you give us faith, that you give us the, the power and the strength to do the things that you've called us to do. We say we love you. Amen.